podcast. Besides our Holy Week midday worship services, we also have a Monday Thursday service at 7 this week, a service that reminds us of what happened on that faithful Thursday night. We plan to start here in the sanctuary and end the service at the outdoor crosses outside. If you've never been, it's a very powerful service, and I hope you'll come. And I also want to mention we have a prayer time in our gym on Friday from 11 to 2, so you can come in and spend some solitary time in prayer, walking our prayer labyrinth. Now, when I was a kid, Palm Sunday was always a fun, happy day. It was like Easter light. It was the start of the joyous Easter season. It was a parade, right? Everybody would get their palms, and of course, some kids would immediately use them as weapons, and I would take my palms home after beating my little brothers with them, and then I would make little crosses out of the palm fronds without a hint of irony that I had just used them for violence earlier. I love Palm Sunday. I'm mindful that some of you might have been a part of churches that did not take note of Palm Sunday, so you might be wondering what the fuss is all about. And so I want you to know that this is the day in the week that we call holy and the week of historical events, events that Jesus paraded into the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, the seat of power and strength. And this is the city that he would die in. Now, even though I loved Palm Sunday growing up, even though I always thought it was a fun parade, it was to me a day when Jesus was getting his due. Everyone recognized him for who he rightfully was. He was like the homecoming king riding on the first century convertible down the road. Everyone loved him, adored him. But now I am older, and I see that this story is complicated. If we look closely at the story today, we just might see that there is pain in the midst of this beauty. We just might see that Jesus is willing himself on a mission and purpose. And if we look closely, we might see pain in his eyes. I'm going to read today from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 as we remember the story together. It says, after he had said this, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and when he had come near Bethage and Bethany at the place called Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God, joyfully with a loud voice, for all the deeds and powers that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. 
Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Now this story of Palm Sunday begins with a side note story. Jesus has something he needs two disciples to do. In fact, it's quite a long time with this side note story before it gets to the part about the parade. Jesus needs two disciples to go get a donkey. A thankless job, really. I'm mindful of those who fetched their own donkey today and brought it here for the kids. They can perhaps relate to this. To go get a donkey, it's never been ridden before, and it doesn't even belong to them. So I imagine that wasn't exactly a smooth experience. In Matthew's version of events, he actually quotes from Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Actually, if you keep reading in verse 10, there's a beautiful word. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be broken, and then he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Luke spends a lot of time telling us about this instructions about going to get a donkey. He tells them where to go find it. He tells them what to say to the owner when they ask why you're taking my donkey. And he tells them where to bring it. Donkey, a poor man's horse. It's certainly far from the regal stallion that I'm sure Pontius Pilate was riding into on the city that very same day. And it's amusing to me that he sent the disciples to do this. I just can't imagine that when they dropped those fishing nets and went and followed Jesus, that they imagined in this adventure life of ministry that what they would be asked to do is handle livestock. I don't think they pictured it. And remember how they actually argued about who was the greatest Remember how they asked Jesus if they could have the VIP seats right next to him and then hereafter let us sit one to your left and right? Well, here we go, disciples. You are now fetching the donkey. And why? Because the Lord needs it. Because the Lord needs it. Just in case they had any sense of coming into the holy city that they were going to be received with power and authority and might, there is a reminder here about ministry that the Lord's work is found in the sometimes tedious, always humble, routine, and in their case that day, smelly parts of life. I happen to remember a mission trip I was on. We were in a, a, a big urban city and we happened to this group of ours. We were serving at a, a big soup kitchen downtown and I think the the staff were so excited to have a large group of people there that they um, gave us the task of doing a deep clean of their kitchen that day. And there was some really gritty spots. We're talking grease and grime that hadn't been washed off a wall in a lot of years. And I remember distinctly, I was going around checking in. I wasn't really working. I was taking pictures of everybody else working. And I was going around the kitchen and I came across this guy at my church 
and he had his sleeves rolled up and his required hairnet on and gloves on, and he was scraping the grossest part of the kitchen you can imagine, and I was sort of smiling at him, and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I want you to know I really love Jesus. <laughs> and I have never forgotten about how right he is. That's his ministry, scrubbing the walls of a soup kitchen. It's dropping a casserole door at someone who's grieving, mowing your elderly neighbor's yard. It's making hundreds of little palm crosses for your church to enjoy. It's sending a text message of encouragement, sending your little bit of money to help the refugees in Ukraine. It's often unseen, regularly tedious. And why do we do this? Because the Lord needs us to. The Lord needs it. You go and get the donkey. As the great Kentuckian Wendell Berry said, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world. It's the mundane, often behind the scenes, frustrating tasks of life, and it is the work that Jesus calls each and every one of us to every single day of our lives. And the good news for all of us in the room today is that it doesn't have to be special or big or loud or amazing. You just have to be willing to go. Now the crowd cheers Jesus into the city today. They take their cloaks and they lay them down for royalty. They wave their palms. A king is coming. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they say. Peace in the highest heaven, glory to God. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. King. Did you hear that? King. Shh. You can't say that. It's not Caesar. Caesar is king. This is scandalous. This is criminal. And some of the Pharisees rightfully recognize how dangerous this is. They are under Rome's watchful eye. Pontius Pilate would parade into the city of Jerusalem every Passover just so he could watch over the Jews having their most holy holidays. It was a reminder to them that they get to worship in that temple out of Rome's good graces. They are an occupied people. And there they are proclaiming a Jewish king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Shh, keep it down. Don't let anyone hear you say that. The Pharisees and the crowd warn him, Jesus, make them stop. And he says, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And I wonder today how you would be watching that parade. Would you be shouting from the rooftops, proclaiming and welcoming the king that comes from the Lord? Or will you be laying low, hush? trying to keep rule and order. The king who comes today not in Rome's finest riches, but dressed simply and humbly, riding in on a working man's horse, his feet practically dragging the ground. He doesn't march in with soldiers or weapons as Pontius Pilate would. He comes in peace, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Would you dare to shout that? Would you be worried what everyone would think? Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor offers a powerful word about this moment when she says Jesus was not killed by atheism or anarchy. He was brought down by law and order allied with religion, which is always a deadly mix. Beware those who claim to know the mind of God and are prepared to use force, if necessary, to make others conform. Beware those who cannot tell God's will from their own. You know, next Sunday is Easter, and one of the things I'm most excited about this Easter season is our young students who are choosing to get baptized. And a few weeks ago, I met... Zach and I met in here in this room with some of our youngest ones, and we got in the baptistry, and we really practiced baptism. And I promised every single one of them that they'd come back up if we went back in the water. And um, I reminded each of them that in that moment, I'd be asking them a very important question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you proclaim him as Savior of your life? And one after one, they were so ready and proud to proclaim their faith. It was humbling to watch. And I hope, gosh, I hope that that is just a beginning of a thousand other times and a thousand other different ways that they will stand and claim their faith, proclaim it, to say who they follow, who they want to listen to with their lives, in a world that will give them a thousand other voices and tell them to follow those, that they will claim their faith to choose the king, the prince of peace, who comes in the name of the Lord this day. You know, the crowds, they love him today. They shout it from the rooftops. They wave their palms. There's no stopping the crowd today. How they adore Jesus they know they are witnessing something powerful. He is everything the Roman Empire is not. They wave their palms, they spread their cloaks, and they proclaim the king who comes today. The one who comes not with power and strength, but in humility. He isn't dressed in royalty, but comes dressed as a humble servant. The one who comes and rules not with fear, but with love. He is the Prince of Peace, and the crowds, they love it today. But we know how crowds are. They're fickle. They can change like that. In fact, later on, the scripture reminds us of that. Then the crowd all shouted together, away with this fellow, release Barabbas for us. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but the crowd kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, what evil has he done? I found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. But the crowd kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that Jesus should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 